for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. A thousand songs are not enough to say how great you are. The glories of your majesty, the triumphs of your love. And a warm welcome to our online evening service. Uh, it's really good that you can join us, that we can worship our God together. Uh, after the service, as we've done in previous weeks, we're going to have our coffee time. Uh, that's at 10 past 7. Uh, and if you uh, want to join that and haven't got a link, uh, then do let me know. Uh, there's very short uh, space of time after the service uh, where you can do that. And I'll be able to send you the link that you need. Well, we're going to begin our service together by worshipping our God in song. And our first song is Holy Father, Rich in Mercy.
singing about giving glory to our God, Father, Spirit, and Son. And in our passage in Matthew tonight, we're going to see Jesus uh, speak of working for our God while we are waiting for the return of Christ, investing the resources God has given us to use for his glory in his kingdom. And our Bible reading tonight speaks of living our lives in this way. I'm actually going to have a reading from two different places in the Bible. Uh, We're going to first of all read from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11, about laziness, or rather against laziness, that is what we should not do. But Ephesians chapter 5, verses 9 to 20, speaks about how we are to live as children of light, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So first of all, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11, and then Ephesians chapter 5, verses 9 to 20, and Erin is going to read that for us. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 to 20. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it says, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from the heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which challenges us to live our lives for your glory. We are prone to live for ourselves and forget you, but your word calls us back to radical discipleship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so forgive the times that we have been lazy, and forgive the times when we have worked, but in our own strength, and for our own glory rather than your own. And help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to be very careful then how we live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We do thank you for the examples we see of this in our church. Making the most of our time is not always in the big events and public platforms, but in the small day-by-day acts of service. And we thank you for those in our church who have been caring for each other and their families in ways that we often don't see. We think this week in particular of Pat Davies, who has cared in such a lovely and Christ-like way for her sister Violet. We pray that you would comfort Pat in her grief through the knowledge that Violet is with you. We also pray this week for the Gordon family as they face the funeral of Lindsay's mother. Again, we thank you for the love that they have showed her, love which mirrors the compassionate love of Christ. Help them to hold on to the hope we have in Christ as they attend the funeral this week. And we ask tonight that you would challenge us and change us 
that we would give ourselves fully to your service. Show us, O Lord, that serving you is not only our duty as your people in response to your love for us, but in addition to that, serving you is our delight. It's our joy. It's our purpose. And as we serve you, make the, making the most of the time, we pray that others in this evil day would come out of darkness and into your wonderful light. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our next song uh, asks God to occupy our hearts so that we would live for him. Let's sing, O great God of highest heaven. began learning uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 9 and 10 together. Uh, so we're going to do that again now. The words are going to appear uh, somewhere on your computer screen uh, and then I'll read them and as I'm reading them uh, please read aloud with me as we try and learn uh, these uh, verses regarding the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's read these words together. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, 
and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Well, if you return now in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, this evening we're going to look at verses 14 uh, to 30 of this chapter. And as we come to this uh, section of uh, Matthew's Gospel, I hope that you are ready tonight uh, to be challenged by God's Word. If we get this passage and understand what it really means and really apply it to our lives, this truly is life-changing stuff. Uh, And so I'm praying that God would speak to us that we would live lives truly for his glory. And we do that in the light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's what this section of Matthew's Gospel is talking about, the coming of Jesus at the end of the age. He's telling us uh, what we need to know in order that we might be ready for that day that is coming. And he has taught us uh, about his second coming and being ready for it Uh, in a series of illustrations and parables. Uh, So far, we've seen that the second coming is unexpected. So if you remember, chapter 24, verses 42 to 44, uh, says that Jesus' coming will be like a thief. So we need to be watching out for it. Uh, We've seen that being ready means that we are to be faithful servants. In uh, chapter 24, verses 45 to 51, Uh, we see how we are to be doing our duty before our master while he is away. And last week, we saw the need to be prepared while we are waiting for the bridegroom to return. And we thought about the fact that being prepared is trusting in the sacrifice that Jesus has made for our sins and then living our lives for him in accordance to his word. And Matthew, uh, is, uh, through the words of Jesus Christ, is building and building more and more upon uh, the, the truths of the second coming of Christ. He's painting a picture with one illustration and parable after another. Uh, some of you have gotten into uh, jigsaws during the lockdown. Uh, I've heard that from a number of people. Um, I certainly haven't. I cannot bear jigsaws. I can't bear the thought of sitting for hours upon hours and building something and then having to rip it all apart and put it back in the box afterwards. If I ever got into jigsaws, they'd have to go on my wall or something as a, as a sense of achievement. Uh, but many of you are into them, and that's uh, really good for you. But a jigsaw puzzle is a good way of illustrating really what Matthew is doing here. Uh, Jesus is giving us different parts of a jigsaw, the picture of which is the second coming of Christ. Now, Jesus doesn't give us every piece of the jigsaw, uh, but as we look through the other uh, parts of the scriptures, we get other parts of the jigsaw that is putting this picture together of the second coming and what it means for us to be ready. And in tonight's passage, another piece of jigsaw is given to us. If the parable of the ten uh, virgins was a piece of the jigsaw that taught us to watch while we wait, this piece of the jigsaw This parable teaches us to be working while we wait, using the time before Jesus' return to be investing God's gifts. Now, as with all of the, the parables, it's helpful for us to understand the background of what was going on in the Roman world of the time. And in this parable, we will see uh, people called servants. Now, when we think Uh, of servants. We might think of uh, a butler or a maid, but actually these were not servants in that kind of a way. These were slaves. And slavery in the Roman Empire, whilst not a a really wonderful thing, was not quite like what we might picture with the transatlantic slave trade, where people were being kidnapped and taken across the ocean in shackles. Now there was some kind uh, of that going on, But many people who were slaves were actually treated really well by their masters. And depending on the master, were in a much better position of being housed and fed and clothed than they might have been otherwise. Sometimes uh, slaves could get to quite high positions in a household. And many times people would volunteer themselves uh, as slaves if they were in debt or poor. 
And that's not me defending slavery. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that it is a bit different from what we might be picturing. But the key point in this parable, to understand it, is that slaves were not their own. They were owned by their masters. They couldn't decide one day to not turn up to work. They couldn't pull a sickie. They didn't get holidays. They were not their own. They were owned by their master. And this illustration is used in the New Testament often to describe the Christian life. Uh, We are slaves to Christ. And whilst we might not like that term, the New Testament also teaches us that we are either slaves to Christ or we are slaves to sin. So all of us are slaves to, to a master. None of us are truly free. You're either slaves to Christ or slaves to sin. And the wonder of the gospel, the truth of the scriptures, tells us that Christ is a wonderful and a good master. And sin is a harsh and destructive master. So we need to understand in this parable that slaves are not their own. And in this parable, we see three parts um, about the relationship between the master and his slaves. We see that the slaves, first of all, are entrusted with resources. Secondly, we see that the slaves are called to account. And then thirdly, we see one of the slaves facing the judgment. Entrusted with resources, called to account, facing the judgment. So let's look at those aspects of this parable. First of all, we see that the slaves are entrusted with resources. Let's read, uh, first of all, verses 14 to 18. We'll take this uh, parable in, in sections. So from verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So the master here goes away on a journey, and we're not told how long the journey is, but from verse 19 we know that he would be gone a long time. Now slaves in the first century were not just uh, lackeys, but often had a lot of responsibility, and this owner gave the slaves responsibility by entrusting them with his resources so that the slaves could manage them while he was away and make money for him. Notice in verse 14 how he, it says, entrusted his wealth to them. So to entrust something is to put it in their care. Uh, As an illustration, that's what many of us do with with a pension, isn't it? Um, When we put money into a pension... We we give that money to a pension provider who we expect to gain interest for us. And when we're retired, we might withdraw the money and give it to a financial or a pension advisor and expect them to grow that money for us so we can draw, especially off of the interest that we might make. That pension provider or that financial advisor is entrusted with our money and we expect the the advisor to do good with it, to make more money. And the bags of gold then were entrusted to the slaves so that they could make more money for the master. And in verse 15, we see that this master is extremely wealthy. Uh, This parable is often called the parable of the talents. The NIV replaces talent with bags of gold. And a talent was a weight of money. And it was the highest weight available for weighing money. One talent or one bag of gold was the equivalent to 20 to 25 years wages for an average laborer. You could look at it today as about half a million pound. 
And so this master gives five bags of gold to one man, so that's, what, two and a half million pounds, two to another, and one to another. So all three slaves, all of them, had considerable, significant resources entrusted to their care. And notice that each slave was given different amounts according to their ability. So not everyone was given the same amount of gold, but each had to steward well the amount that they had been given. And then at the end of verse 15, the master goes on his journey. Well, verses 16 to 17 tell us how the first two slaves get on. And we see three attributes of these first servants in regards to the bags of gold entrusted to them. First of all, notice how they are enthusiastic. So with the first servant, we see he, he went at once, went at once. So there's no delay. He just jumped at the chance to go and serve his master with the money entrusted to him. He was enthusiastic. Secondly, notice how he was diligent. It, it says he put his money to work. Now, putting money to work certainly isn't gambling. And there wasn't a stock market to put your money in. What this means is that he had to invest it through hard work. So most likely, he either started a business himself or invested in someone else's business or a mixture of the two. But the point here is that he worked really hard using the resources that his master had given him. He was diligent. So he was enthusiastic, he was diligent, but thirdly, he was risky. Why do I say that? Because he gained five bags more, which is a 100% return. Now, we're not told what he did, but any kind of investment that gives that kind of return would entail some kind of risk with his master's money. I mean, it's a general rule, isn't it, of financial uh, life, that the, the, the bigger the investment, the bigger the risk. The bigger the return, the bigger the risk. Uh, you, you could look at this as, as, as nothing ventured, nothing gained. So he would have been very risky in what he was doing with his master's money. Take, he took a risk with it. And verse 17 tells us that the second slave did exactly the same. The second slave, like the first, uh, was enthusiastic, was diligent, and took risk with his master's money. But when we come to verse 18, we are, we're offered a contrast. It begins with the word, but. And we see the opposite actions from the other two servants in this one servant. He showed no enthusiasm to invest the money. He showed a complete lack of work because he just buried his money in a hole and hid it. And in doing that, he also took no risk whatsoever. Now, in the ancient world, uh, there were, were no banks. So people uh, would keep their money safe by burying it in the ground. Now, sometimes it was so safe that if the person died then their uh, relatives wouldn't know where they'd hid the money. And so it's left hidden for a very long time. And so even today, hordes of Roman coins are still being found. Uh, in our area, you may remember uh, the finding in recent years of the Staffordshire hoard, which is, uh, was found recently and is now in Litchfield Cathedral, just down the road from here. Now, doing this had two advantages for the slave. First... He wouldn't have to do any work once it was buried. He could put it in the ground, and then he could just live however he wanted. And secondly, there was absolutely no risk involved at all. The master's money would still be there when the master returned. He decided to play it safe. Well, let's consider the meaning of what we have looked at so far. Let's put ourselves in this parable. 
to make sure we understand uh, where we are. So the master is obviously Jesus Christ. And Christians are the slaves. Jesus has immense resources. He is God. He owns the whole world and everything in it. And he entrusts his people with those resources, distributing them as he sees fit to. Well, what do the bags of gold represent? Well, I believe they represent any resources that God has given us. That can mean money, of course, but it also means knowledge and health and strength and time and intellect and natural abilities and people in our lives and even hobbies. All of these things are entrusted to us by our God. Basically, anything, anything at all with which we can glorify God with is a resource that he has given us. And he entrusts it to us to use for him. Remember, we are slaves to Christ. We are not our own. Uh, Paul the Apostle knew this well. He said, Paul, in describing himself, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the glory of gospel of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul tells us, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So all that we are, all that we have is God's. Now that completely changes or should completely change our mindset, doesn't it? The money in your bank account is God's money. Not just some of it, all of it. We don't just give God some money in and keep some for ourselves. No, all of God's money, all of our money is, is God's money. You don't give some of your time to God and then decide to keep some of it just for yourself. No, all of our time is God's, as is all of our knowledge, all of our abilities, all of our families. It's all God's and he's entrusted it to you. And the other important lesson uh, to learn from these first verses is from the fact that each slave was given differing amounts of his master's resources. And this is important to remember because it can be so easy to compare ourselves with other people, can't it? And we usually compare ourselves to people who seem to be able to do more than us. But it's wrong to do this. God has entrusted you with what he believes you can cope with. Nothing more, nothing less. And don't forget, the more that you have, we'll see the more you have to give account for. I remember uh, years ago uh, when I went to visit um, Neville Swain, who some of you will remember. And when I went to visit him at the time, I was reading um, a book about Charles Spurgeon. He was a pastor in the 1800s in London. And if ever there was a man with five bags of gold given to him, so to speak, Spurgeon was that man. Uh, he uh, preached, he wrote, he opened orphanages, he ran a Bible college, he had a, a tract distribution society, he had a church of 10,000 uh, members, a, a massive uh, organization that he ran. Uh, he, he, he just did so much for our Lord. And rather than be inspired by Spurgeon, I was just getting depressed and thinking, what, what is the point in my life? I'm reading about this guy. Look at all he's doing. I mean, what, what am I doing? I'm doing nothing in comparison to him. And I explained this uh, to Neville Swain, and he really helped me by rebuking me in this way. He said, Steve, let me tell you something. You are not Spurgeon. You are not Spurgeon and you never will be, and so I shouldn't try to be. I should learn from Spurgeon, not um, I need to do all that he did, but rather learn from the fact that what Spurgeon did was use the many bags of gold that he did have for the glory of his God. In fact, one time Spurgeon was uh, 
told by somebody that 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 person wished that they had a church the size of Spurgeon's. And Spurgeon told that man not to wish that because Spurgeon said he has to give an account for every soul under his care. We have to give account for what we have. We shouldn't be wishing uh, that we, we had more than we can cope with. So, they are as slaves entrusted with resources. But in the next part of the parable, we see that the slaves are called to account. Uh, we've seen two ways that the slaves reacted with the resources they were given. There was enthusiastic, diligent risk-takers on the one hand, and then there was this playing-it-safe, do-nothing barrier on the other. Which one was right? Well, let's see the next section. First of all, let's read verses 19 to 23. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold bought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. So in verse 19, we read that the master returned after a long time. And he has come, we read, to settle accounts with them. In other words, he's come to see what they've done with his money. The money that was entrusted to them. Now, the first slaves show what they have done, and they would have been pleased to reveal the 100% profit that they had made. They had enthusiastically worked hard, and their risk had paid off. And in verses 20 to 23, they had a threefold reward here. They received, first of all, their master's approval. Well done, good and faithful servant. So they received their master's approval. Secondly, they received more responsibility. You've been faithful with a few things, which um, just as an aside, isn't that uh, quite funny in in a sense? At least I find it funny that they've been given five bags of gold, the first one, uh, two and a half million pound. Imagine having two and a half million pound put in your bank account and then the the guy who gives it you says, yeah, I've only given you a bit. But to God, he has unlimited, infinite resources, doesn't he? Anyway, but uh, you've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now, this doesn't mean they're given more tiresome work that they don't want. The reward here is more responsibility. That's the reward. But it's responsibility that they would look forward to, that they would long for, that they would want. Uh, It's like like a a promotion at work you've been longing for. It is good work. So they get master's approval, more responsibility, and thirdly, they get to share in their master's happiness. Whatever work is going to be done, it is done with joy. Because it is with the master and sharing in the joy that the master has. It's a wonderful reward, isn't it? Approval from the master, a well done a promotion to to more responsibility that you would really love and long for. And then you're doing that, sharing it with a master who shares his joy with you. And interestingly, both of these slaves, the one with five bags and the one with two bags, get the same reward. There's no difference in the reward for either. Both get the same. They get more responsibility. They get the approval. They get the joy. But what about the man who who buried his money in the ground? What kind of response does he get when he's called to account? Well, let's find out. Let's read from verse 24 to 27. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. 
Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew where I harvest, where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I return, I would have received it back with interest. Now this slave obviously knows that he's done wrong, because straight away, he starts making excuses. He claims that the master was a hard man, of which there is no indication given here that he was a hard man. That's just an excuse, isn't it? The man obviously didn't like his master because he sees his master as one who exploits his slaves by harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. This means that the master is one who takes the proceeds from other people's work. He's basically saying, what is the point in me um, scattering seed and, and causing the seed to grow if all I do that for is for this master to come and take all the things I've worked for? That's what he's saying. And in verse 25, he indicates he was, was scared of making a loss. He claims that he was afraid of risking losing the money, so he buries it. He gives it back to the master and has nothing to show for it. But all of these things, the master being hard, the master being exploitative, the fear of taking a risk, they're, they're all just excuses. And we know that because in verses 26 to 27, the master calls him out on his real problem. His real problem was that he was wicked and he was lazy. If the master really was hard and exploitative, then the servant could have just done the easy thing and put the money in a bank account to earn interest. But the man's problem was that he was wicked and lazy. His wickedness is shown in the fact that he was obligated to serve his master. His master owned him. But rather than serve his master, he buried the money in, his ground, in the ground and didn't even put it in the bank. If he was going to serve his master, putting it in the bank was the least he could have done. At least he could have said then, well, I've done my obligation. But this man was wicked because he didn't even do that. He buried it in the ground so that nothing would be made for his master. He didn't want his master to gain one single penny from his work. He was wicked. He was saying to the master, I am not owned by you. I am my own master. I will live how I want to live and do things my own way. And that's wicked because we are not our own. And his laziness, the fact that he was a lazy servant, is shown in the fact that the money was buried and then he could just do nothing and live a lazy life as he pleased. I mean, imagine if you as I said earlier, uh, had, had a pension, and you gave, you, when you retired, you took the money out of the pension and you, you gave it to the pension advisor or financial advisor. And every month you're, you're drawing off of your pension to live. And then one day you come to draw it out and it's all gone. And you go to the advisor and they just say to you, well, I just, I just sat on the money, sorry. That, mass, that, that, that advisor would be wicked and lazy, wouldn't they? That's what's going on here. And the servant was, was not welcomed into the master's happiness, was he? Instead, we see him facing the judgment. Look at verses 28 to 30. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the slave's gold, one bag of gold, was given to the one who had ten. Now this doesn't mean that we are rewarded at the expense of others. 
The point is the faith, that faithfulness is rewarded with more responsibility and wickedness is judged with loss. That's the kingdom logic of verse 29. What he had been given is taken from him and so he's left with nothing and he's cast into the outer darkness. That is, he is condemned to hell. And the day of reckoning reveals who truly are disciples of Christ. Now this doesn't mean that we earn our salvation by doing good works or making wise investments. That's not what this parable is about. This parable is saying, Jesus is coming back, and if you have no interest at all in investing your lives into the kingdom of the coming king, then you are not a disciple of Jesus Christ. You can't be, because a disciple of Jesus Christ is one who invests God's resources into God's kingdom because they know that they are a slave of Christ. Jesus is the master who is coming. And there is a great challenge for us here, isn't there, as God's people, in regards to how we live in the light of that coming day. We're not all given the same resources, but we are called to use what we do have to be entrepreneurial with what we have for the gospel to advance his kingdom. We are not supposed to sit around and do nothing until he returns. That's not what watching and waiting means. So I want to end this evening with the practical. How do we do this? What does it look like? Well, before we come to the, the very practical day-by-day -day things we might do, we first of all need to understand that we need a change of mindset. A change of mindset. That's the first thing we need. We need to first of all remember in our minds that this life is very short compared with eternity. It's very short. The, the cricketer and missionary C.T. Studd once said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So remember, first of all, this life is short. Secondly, remember that, our, that giving our lives for the cause of Christ is always absolutely worth it. The reward of God's approval of more responsibility of sharing in our master's joy is what is in store for us when we serve him. We will be in heaven serving our king in new ways that will bring us immense joy. It's going to be wonderful. No Christian who is in heaven is ever going to say, you know what, I wish I hadn't bothered with that investment into the kingdom of God. It's always worth it. Remember that. And then thirdly, in terms of a change of mindset, we need to understand that taking risks for the kingdom is good and right. Now, don't misunderstand me. Risk need not be reckless or unthinking. But risk it is an action that exposes you to the, the possibility of loss or injury, isn't it? And it is right that we let go of the illusion of safety and security and be prepared to have loss and injury for the cause of Christ. Now, there are bad reasons to risk. We might have a, a lust for adventure. We might want to earn approval uh, from other people. We might want to show our, our self-reliance. But to risk for the cause of Christ, to risk losing face, losing money, even losing our lives, we can risk these things because we know 
that God can use our loss or injury for his glory. And it is always worth it. Now, sometimes we might take risks and fail. We can't read too much into this. We can't read that every endeavor will definitely work because they don't always work. But God does not commend the slaves for being successful. He commends them for being faithful. What God wants us to be is faithful with the resources he has given us. And sometimes being faithful might end up meaning something doesn't work. But that's okay. I've done many um, different things in, in, in church life that have not worked out. I, I might wish I'd have done things differently, but I don't, wish, risk, I don't regret giving things a try. Let me ask you a question. When, when was the last time that you did something for the cause of Christ that made your heart race just a little bit? Has it been a while? So we need a, a mindset change, but we also need to be practical. In other words, don't be lazy. Some of us perhaps need to heed the call to go to the ant you sluggard and be wise that we read earlier in Proverbs. And I would encourage you to at least once a year to take some time to sit down and just think through your life. What resources has God given you? How are you using them for the cause of his kingdom? Pray about this. Think it over. Speak to other Christians. You know, th this period that we're in at the moment, where we're forced to stop certain things, and some of us perhaps have more time on our hands to think, could have a perfect opportunity to just spend a bit of time thinking through that. And as restrictions are lifted, we can perhaps use the time that we'll have then in different ways for the cause of Christ. There are so many resources that we might have. Now, some of you I know uh, are probably sitting there thinking, well, what, what can I do for Christ? What, what, what has he given me? All of us have been entrusted with resources. We might need to pray over what those are, but here's some uh, suggestions. Uh, some of us have been entrusted with the ability to make lots of money or have been entrusted with lots of money. Some of us have been entrusted with a job. Some of us have been entrusted with specific skills that you use in that job and can use outside the job. Some of you have been entrusted with a lot of time on your hands. Some of you have been entrusted with creativity, with music or other arts and design. Some of you have been entrusted with the ability to think clearly and speak clearly to people. Some of you have been entrusted with the ability to be just enthusiastic about sharing your faith. Some of you have been entrusted with athletic ability. Some of you have been entrusted with the ability to organize and administrate. And the list could go on and on and on. Uh, just a couple of books that I think are helpful in thinking through these things that I would recommend to you. I've read both of these over the last couple of weeks, and I think they're excellent at helping us. Uh, the first one is What's Best Next? And it's a very practical book that helps us think through how we can be productive in our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. It gives us uh, a biblical basis and framework for finding what our purpose is in life and for how to use our time well and use the resources well that God has given us. So I, I would heartily recommend uh, What's Best Next. And then for those of you that are a bit older um, and, and retired, uh, I'm not going to say what age. Um, I don't want to upset anybody. Uh, but this book, A Good Old Age, is a really uh, good book uh, written by a man who died just last year, Derek Prime, but he wrote the book uh, while he was in his 80s. So he knows uh, what it's like uh, to, to be uh, an older gentleman. Uh, and in this book, he helps uh, people who are older and retired think through how to use that time of life well for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
so both of these books are really well, are, are really good. They're really helpful and will help apply in more practical and specific ways uh, the kind of things we've been talking about here. So I've got five of each of these books that I'm prepared uh, to give away for free to the first five people um, for each book that come and ask me for them. Uh, if you want one, just email me. But if I give you a free copy, you can only have it on the condition that once you've read it, and you must read it, otherwise I don't want to give it you, uh, you email me with something that you've learned from reading that book that you are going to put into practice. So that's the challenge. You can't just have a free book for your shelf. Uh, you've got to be able to use it. Uh, if more than five people come to me, then you're going to have to pay uh, for your own. But it's a good investment, I can tell you. But the main point of the parable as we close, the main thing that we need to just remember in our minds is this. Jesus Christ is returning. And we are to work for him while we wait. All that we are, all that we have, has been entrusted to, to us by our master for his glory. And I want to close with a question that I want you to ask yourself. What is he going to say to you on that day of reckoning? Don't you want to hear these words? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Oh, that we would long to hear those words said to us. And that we can carry on serving our king for the rest of time. Well, our final song uh, helps us to respond to God by committing to him. Let's sing, This Is My Desire.
bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Amen. faith to be strong father we are so weak our bodies are fragile and weary and as we stagger and stumble to walk where you lead give us faith to be strong give us faith to be strong give us strength to Life is not long, but it's hard. Give us grace to go on, make us willing and able. Lord, give us faith to be strong. Give us peace when we're torn, mend us up when we break. Flesh can be wounded and shaky When there's much too much trouble for one heart to take Give us peace when we're torn Give us faith to be strong Give us strength to be faithful This life is not long but it's Give us grace to go on, make us willing and able, Lord, give us faith to be strong. Give us hearts to find hope. Father, we cannot see how the sorrow we feel can bring freedom. And as hard as we try, Lord, it's hard to believe. So give us hearts to find hope. Give us faith to be strong. Give us strength to be faithful. This life is not long. strong 